Ever wonder about questions that don't seem to have solid answers? Like if God is so good, then why is there so much suffering in the world? Or why should we trust the Bible and who wrote it anyway? Maybe you found the answers, but they didn't fully satisfy you. Well, welcome to Straight from the Bible, where you can find real answers from God's Word. Give us a call if something's on your heart. You can call us right now at 472-1111 or in the CNMI at 323-1113. You can also text or WhatsApp your questions to 671-686-9999. And now, straight from the Bible with Pastor Masih Ideong. Good evening and Happy New Year, everyone. This is Pastor Masih Ideong and I'm here with my co-host, Scott Lasanka. Good afternoon, Scott. Good afternoon, Pastor. Good afternoon. So welcome back to Straight from the Bible. This is our first Straight from the Bible episode of the year 2023. So our first live uh, live show, that is. Mm-hmm. And so let's go ahead and bow our heads together as we ask God to lead us in our study today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord. But now as we open your word, we know that we cannot understand the Bible We cannot understand spiritual things unless, O Lord, you lead us and guide us and lead us into all truth. Lead us now, Father, is our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great to be with you all again, Scotty. Happy New Year. Great to have you. Yes, Pastor. It's great seeing you this year, too. Amen. And so we do have two questions that did come in from Amani. Amani is our our regular uh, one of our re- regulars who usually you know, mm-hmm. pitches in questions, and we enjoy getting messages and questions uh, from her. If we have any other questions, Scotty, we'll go ahead and go down the list. Yes. But at least for the first one, Amani had uh, asked the question, if we die before Jesus comes back, uh, is there an afterlife? Do we have an afterlife before Christ comes back if we die? Wonderful question, Amani. That is. And the answer is uh, no. When we die, the Bible describes it as a sleep. In fact, Jesus himself describes it as sleep. Let's go to the book of John chapter 11, and you'll see that Jesus himself actually uses that word sleep to describe the death of one of his dear friends. Now, Jesus had a friend named Lazarus, and whenever he went into the town of Bethany, he would stay over with Lazarus, Wouldn't that be nice if Jesus ever came to your town, that he would want to stay with you? He would spend time with you in your home? Well, of course, uh, one day um, he gets the news from his other two friends, who is Mary and Martha, who are the sisters of of Lazarus. And they give him the news that, unfortunately, uh, their brother had died. Lazarus was dead. Mm -hmm. And so this is, can you, maybe you can read that text, uh, Scotty. Uh, in John chapter 11, uh, verse 11 until 13, or until 14, rather. <clears throat> John chapter 11, verse 11 to 14, yes. 11 through 14, and it reads, These things he said, although no, these things said he, and after that, he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. 
Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Okay. So when he said, oh, Lazarus is sleeping, when he said that the first time, did they understand what he meant? I don't think so. No, he did. They did. They said, well, that's that's good, Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, sleeping is good. He's getting some <laughs> rest. And so then Jesus had to make it very plain, and he says it very plainly in verse 14. And he says, Lazarus is dead. So what did Jesus describe sleep? I mean, sorry. What did Jesus describe death as? It is sleep like a sleep. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean he was literally sleeping, but it is like sleeping. How is death like sleeping, Imani? Well, when when you go to sleep at night and you close your eyes and you fall asleep, and then when you wake, and then when your eyes open in the morning, you have no memory of all the time that had passed by from the time you fell asleep until the time you woke up in the morning. And so all of this, that moment just, just went by. And so in that moment, you were sleeping. And likewise, death, when a person dies, it's, there's nothing. There's no memory, no thought, uh, nothing at all actually happens. You simply, uh, you die. Uh, you don't go to a place of, uh, of torment or you don't go to heaven right away. You're simply at rest. And so the reason we know that is because when Jesus came to resurrect Lazarus, he actually you know, raised up Lazarus from the dead. And the Bible actually says that he said, Lazarus, come forth. Now, if Lazarus was, Lazarus was already in heaven, could you imagine how disappointed Lazarus would be if Jesus were to say, Lazarus, come back down from heaven, uh, let go of your eternal life, let go of uh, singing with the angels, and come back down to this whole sinful world where you will suffer sickness again and will die again? Wouldn't Lazarus have been disappointed? And the answer is yes, of course. But you see, death, as the Bible has says, describes it over and over again, all throughout the Old Testament and all throughout the New Testament, it is a sleep. And that's why we have no record of Lazarus ever saying in John chapter 11, said, you know, thank you. You know, heaven was a wonderful place, and I'm glad to be back here on earth. He had no memory, nothing to describe. It's because uh, he was simply... Uh, dead, which is, as Jesus says, death is like a sleep, meaning you have no memory, uh-huh. no knowledge, and uh, no senses. You're, you're just, you're out. You're mm. out. Okay. Well, uh, good, great question, Amani. I think there's another text that people may confuse that with, and this is, I believe, in Second Corinthians chapter... <clears throat> it is in Second Corinthians chapter... 5 verse 8 and this is a text that sometimes people may read and they, they may confuse well let says it right there um, when you die you go straight to heaven and it says in second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 8 it says uh, we are confident I say this is Paul writing and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord to be absent from the body mm-hmm. to be present with the Lord now does that mean that once he dies, he goes straight away into heaven? And the answer is no. Uh, like, like we talked about in John chapter 11, when you die and when you go to sleep and you wake up in the morning, it looks like you have no memory of what uh-huh. happened. So likewise, Paul was saying that you know, when, he, when he would die, 
the next thing that he would know or see, of course, is when Christ comes back again. So it would have happened to him uh, in, in almost like the blink of an eye. And of course, it would have been years in reality. And so Paul is saying, uh, <laughs> although he would want to be at rest uh-huh. so that he could finally see Jesus the next thing he knows when he wakes up, uh, that's what he was ascribing. He wasn't necessarily saying as soon as he dies, he goes straight to the kingdom. He was simply saying that when he passes away, it's going to be so sweet because the next thing he knows is he'll see Jesus coming in the clouds. And years, of course, will have elapsed. But just like us, when we pass through the night in our sleeping, we're not aware of it. Likewise, Paul would not be aware of it. So, uh, no, there would be no afterlife uh, when we die. However, there is an eternal life prepared for us yes. when Christ comes back again. Thank you for that question, Imani. Yes, that was a nice question. Amen. We have a question from our Facebook Yes, page. please. And, and it reads, I hear people say number six is the devil's number. Is there anything in the Bible that supports this statement? Yes, a great question. Number six. Number six. Well, well number six is not necessarily, it, no, it isn't what the Bible calls um, uh, the, the, the devil's number. Well, the numbers in the Bible do mean, uh, do have different meanings. Uh, there are different symbols in the Bible. Uh, there are different numbers in the Bible that do have a symbol. For example, uh, the number seven is, uh, it, it symbolizes completeness or fullness. It symbolizes um, uh, perfection. Uh, you have the seventh-day Sabbath, uh, which was the seventh day of the week that God had set aside and made holy after he had created everything else, all these things. And so likewise, with different numbers, there's different meanings. You have, of course, uh, the number 40. Mm-hmm. Uh, rain 40 days and 40 nights. Oh, yes, it is. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for, for 40 days. Uh, and so uh, and the, the Israelites were in the wilderness wandering for 40 years. So the number 40 in the Bible represents kind of a, a trial or a struggle to overcome. And so what about the number six then? Well, the number six in the Bible actually is symbolic of, of man, of man's work, of man's effort. Uh-huh. And so it symbolizes everything that um, that would represent man or mankind or man-made. Of course, man himself was created on the uh, the sixth day of mm-hmm. the week. And so all throughout you find this a repetition of, of six being uh, representative of man. Now, if you go to the book of Revelation, it talks about uh, the, uh, talks about um, uh, the, talks about the beast and the beast number, and it is. Uh, people say 666. What it actually is, it's 666. It's 666. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so, just as uh, 7 would represent, of course, a God's complete fullness and perfection, 6, of course, would represent God's, I mean, sorry, would represent uh, man and, and his effort and his uh, his own works trying to, to make himself or to, to make things right. When you go to the book of Revelation, you find that same exact thinking, uh, that same exact number used to describe the beast system, this system of worship that has been created, uh, that is really man-made, and that is not really of God. And so that's what I think people confuse it when they say it's, it's the devil's number. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it Six isn't necessarily, it's not the devil's number. It simply describes 666 describing 
the number that is associated with this power, this system of worship that is not of God. So yes, in that sense, it does symbolize uh, the system of, of Satan that he has set up, a false system, I should say, mm-hmm. a false system of worship. Thank you so much for that question. Yes. Great, great question. That was. Okay. Moving on to the next question that we have. <clears throat> and it reads, in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What does this mean? Okay, great question. Can you read it one more time, Brother Scotty? Will yes. I get there? Yes. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. Great. Mm -hmm. Well, as you read down farther to verse 13, it says this, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the author of, 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 of Titus, who's, who's writing that, that part, he's describing how we ought to live right before the coming of Christ, mm-hmm. how we ought to live in preparation for the great blessed hope of the coming of Christ. And so, of course, uh, describing that as, as the, describing the text, it says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. God's grace, has God's forgiveness, and God's power has been given to all mankind in order to give us the ability that comes from God for us to overcome our sins. Now, why do we need this power, this grace, this, um, this strength from God? Well, of course, because there will, there will be a lot of ungodliness. There will be a lot of worldly lusts. There will be a lot of things that will want to divert us from being ready for the second coming of Christ. And so Titus uh, chapter 2, 11, 12 uh, is giving us the, uh, the, uh, the warning and the encouragement that we're going to have a really tough time and it's going, you're going to be tempted from a lot of things out in the world. But thank the Lord Almighty that he has given us his grace so full and free to be able to give us the power to live holy, righteous lives that we may be able to stand and say, this is our God, we have been waiting for him when Christ comes back again. Because there's another group that will not be able to say the same thing. This group of people will have been living in the world, doing all the worldly things, and when Christ comes back to them, it comes as a surprise. And they themselves then pray to the mountains and to the rocks, and they say, fall on us, fall on us, and hide us from the face of him. And so they're describing how when Christ comes back, instead of them being happy to see him, they are running away and they're asking the the mountains and rocks to please fall on them and hide them from the face of the wrath of the lamb. Now it's the lamb. Now a lamb is not a a ferocious creature. Now, Scotty, I don't know if you've ever seen a lamb and you feel like you want to run away. Maybe (laughs) a dog or a bear. That's right. But why are they running from a lamb? You see, when Christ comes back again, he's coming. 
He's coming in his glory and his love and his wonder and righteousness. And in, when people are living in sin, they fear that. Uh-huh. And so when he's coming in his love because they are not ready, they fear it and they finally feel the reality that uh, they're not ready to meet him when he comes. And this same kind of fear we find Adam first experiencing in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. When God came, as the Bible says, and the Lord God came in the cool of the day to come meet with Adam and Eve, the Bible says that they ran and they hid themselves. Yes. And this is the first time, the very first time that man ever ran away from God because they were afraid. Now, the question is, have they ever been afraid of God before they fell into sin? No. No. So what changed? Did God ever do something to make them afraid of him? What's the answer? No. So what changed? And what changed is sin. When sin comes into the life, it makes us then view God in a different way. We fear him. And that's why they had began to look at God the wrong way. And, we, and when he simply came to them in love, they ran away from him. Exactly the same thing when Jesus comes back again. He's coming in love, but those who have still sin remaining on them, instead of embracing him with open arms, like Adam and Eve, they run away. And so Titus uh, chapter 2, uh, 11 and 12 is encouraging us uh, to be faithful, to be strong, and to deny all of the ungodly things in the world today. And hallelujah, we're not denying it and, and overcoming it or of being successful in our own power because we will fail. But praise the Lord, God has given us his grace Amen. to be able to overcome. Mm-hmm. Great. I know we had another question from Mani, and the question, oh, yes. I'm going to read that okay. for us. Uh, and the question was, what does it mean when Jesus said that Sabbath is made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Thank you for that question, Amon. Oh, yes. Nice yes, question. Yes. Huh? Very good question. What did Jesus mean when he said that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath? Well, let's read the whole story, Amani, in Mark uh, chapter 2. Let's read the story together, and we'll understand exactly what Jesus was trying to say uh, to them in that day and to you and me today. In Mark chapter 2... Beginning in verse 23. So this is Mark 20, uh, sorry, Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. And it says this, And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day. The cornfields also, really it's actually the wheat fields. The cornfields on the Sabbath day. And his disciples began, as they went, to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have ye never read what David did when he had need and was in hunger, he and they that were with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat but for the priests, and gave also to them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. And there's the where that's where we get the 
the verse that Amani is talking about. What did Jesus mean by that? Well, first of all, let's look at the story again. The disciples are walking through a field, and they've been with Jesus all day, and they're ministering, uh, helping other people, and, and they're mm-hmm. walking through a field, and they see some, of course, some uh, a grain of field, and so they go ahead and they take some, and they roll, rub it in their hands, and they take some of that wheat, and they begin to eat it. And now, this is the the same as if you and I were were uh, doing a lot of ministry on God's holy day, and as we're passing by a guava tree or uh, uh, well, guava is <laughs> one of my favorite trees, so I'm using guava. And <laughs> yeah. then you see a guava hanging, and then you go ahead and you simply take one or two and you eat it because you're hungry. You have been you know, walking all day, and you simply pick a fruit and you begin to eat it. Now, the reason why the the Pharisees were so upset was because they had considered what the disciples had done in taking the few wheat and rubbing in their hands. They considered that harvesting. Oh. That's why they uh-huh. were so upset. Oh, you're harvesting on the Sabbath. And so Jesus then had to correct them on what what Sabbath keeping really was about. And this is how he corrected them. First, he gave them an Old Testament example of when David, of course, ate the showbread or the bread that was uh, dedicated um, in the temple. But he also directly tells them, he says, the Sabbath was made for man. So first of all, the Sabbath was made. And so if you look at John chapter 1, verse 3, it describes Jesus as the one who made all things. So if he created all things and by him were all things made, then he himself made the Sabbath. So if he made the Sabbath, then he would be the right person and the best person to tell you how to keep the Sabbath. Because he himself made it. Could you imagine me going to Mr. Ford? the inventor of the of the automobile, the Ford automobile, and trying to teach him that instead of putting gasoline into the, the gas tank, you put orange juice. <laughs> Could you imagine me trying to tell him that this is how it's actually done? And he would say, no, no, no. Let me tell you how to, how to take care of it. And let me tell you how it runs because I made it. And so likewise, Jesus is telling the Pharisees how Sabbath is to be kept because he made it. And so, he made it for man. So what does that mean? When God made the Sabbath for man, God, the man was made on the sixth day, and of course, the Sabbath was on the seventh day. He made the seventh day in order to be a blessing for mankind. The Sabbath was never supposed to be a burden. It was never supposed to be a day of, of great stress. And when Jesus had come onto the scene, when he was there uh, during this time, what had happened is that uh, they had added other laws, sorry, they had added other rules on how to keep the Sabbath that was never, that you never find in the Bible. And these rules were so many that the Sabbath itself became a burden to the people. Let me give you an example. Uh, one of the rules was you can only walk a certain distance on the Sabbath because that was you couldn't go anything farther than that. Anything farther than that, uh, you would be breaking the Sabbath. 
Another rule was you could not uh, spit. If you happened to be walking along and something got in your mouth, and you couldn't spit it out. Huh? You couldn't spit onto the ground. And you will ask why. Well, you may spit, and that saliva may fall to the ground. And it just might happen that there's a seed there on the ground. And that saliva then lands on the seed, <laughs> and it waters the seed, and that seed germinates, and now you are farming on the Sabbath. And now you're breaking the Sabbath by oh, farming. No. This is the way that these rules had, 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 this is where it had come to. There were these added, added rules that were added to the Sabbath that were never meant to be a part of it. And so this is one of those little rules. When the disciples were walking through a field and they were so hungry, they just grabbed something. Now that's why the Pharisees said, oh, you're, you are harvesting it's not harvest time yet, and you are doing a work on Sabbath. And Jesus had to correct them, and he said, no, that's not how it is. They've been working. Uh, they've been helping other people, doing acts of mercy throughout the mm -hmm. day. They're hungry. Let them pl pluck it and eat. That's not harvesting. That's simply taking something uh, that I've created that they need to eat. And so that's why Jesus is, was trying to correct their way of keeping the Sabbath, and the Sabbath, when Jesus came to the uh, when Jesus came during that time, it was a burden in the eyes of many people. But Jesus was trying to correct everybody as to the right way of keeping the Sabbath. It was never supposed to be a a burden, but a delight. Now let's let's see what God Himself says about the Sabbath, how He describes it. Uh, let's go to the book of Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58. And you will see uh, the counsel that God gives us regarding the Sabbath. Isaiah chapter 58. And Scotty, maybe you can read it when you get there. And it's Isaiah chapter 58, verses 13 and 14. Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. All right, and verse 13, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. And verse 14, mm -hmm. Then shall thy delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Amen. Amen. The Sabbath is described as a delight. And in this moment, uh, oh. in, in this moment oh. in this story, uh, they were enjoying the Sabbath and they were enjoying sharing. And then when during that time, when Christ was walking on earth, the Sabbath was not a delight because these people had added rules to the Sabbath that God had never added. And so what Jesus was doing when he was saying uh, that the Sabbath was made for man, mm -hmm. it was made to be a blessing to man, it was made to uplift man, and it was made as a day to set apart where we would, be, where we would remember God and his creation. So it would be a, a remembrance of his creative power and it was not supposed to be a burdensome uh, 
It wasn't supposed to be a, uh, a task, a heavy mm-hmm. th- thing that we had to do. It was something that was supposed to, to be a blessing. And that's why Jesus says in verse 28, therefore, the son of man, oh, sorry, the son of man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Jesus, who created the Sabbath, is Lord of it, and he teaches us how to, how to keep it. And as we keep it, we find it as a delight, and it is just a joy to keep. And he says, uh, as we keep it, as Scotty read, the blessings abundant oh, come yes. our way. Yes. We're going into a, a break. We got more questions to come, so if you have a question, give us a call on Guam. 671-472-1111 and the CNMI 670-323-1113 text WhatsApp signal us 671-686-9999 we're streaming live on Facebook go ahead and leave your comments in the comment section below or why not even email us at bible at joyfmradio.net we'll be right back Let me ask you a question. Are you content with whatever your teen wants to do with his or her life? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Teens often feel that they can't live up to their parents' expectations, even if your hopes are totally reasonable. So let me ask the question again. Will you be authentically content with whatever they tell you they want to do in life? Will you be happy if they decide to pursue something other than your personal preference? It's wise to begin talking about expectations, both from your perspective and from your teen's point of view. Develop a heart for your teen's desires, even if it's not what you'd prefer. It's the key to keeping your relationship with your child authentic, growing, and healthy. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Welcome back to the second half of Straight from the Bible. Call right now with your Bible question. In Guam, it's 472-1111. In the CNMI, it's 323-1113. You can email your questions anytime to Bible at joyfmradio.net, submit them online at joyfmradio.net, or message us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash joyfmradio. Join us now for the second half of Straight from the Bible. Welcome back to Straight from the Bible. This is Pastor Masik with my co-host Scott, and we're great. Uh, we're very happy to have you back. Let's pray once more before we get into God's Word once more. Let's pray together. Loving Father, as we once again open your word to study, we pray, Father, that you lead our thoughts and our minds to make truth clear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, welcome back. Any other questions, Scott, that may have come in, please, if you give us a call at our station, you can text us or signal us or even go to our Facebook page and leave us a question in the comment section. Yes. We have a comment on Facebook, and it reads, Good afternoon, Pastor. Good afternoon. It's from Joelle Toganen. Joel, great to meet you, Joel. Yes. Thank you. And going to our next question from this is from the inmates at DOC. Okay, wonderful. Okay, and it says, please explain Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse two. Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse two. Well, first of all, we want to say uh, the Lord bless you, our brothers and sisters at the DOC. Yes, I'm so glad that you're able to listen and tune in. 
and to study the Bible together. I'm really glad that the Bible knows no bounds. No matter where you are, uh, the Bible can give us hope and comfort. Right. So the question is, uh, is it 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2? Uh, chapter 12, verse 2. Chapter 12, verse 2. I'm trying to pull it up <clears throat> as fast as I can. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. Okay, here it is. Uh, let's see. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. Okay, and maybe, Scott, you can read that when you get there. Yes, I'm still trying to... Oh, I can read it. Okay, good. So it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth, such an one caught up to the third heaven. So, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such an one was caught up to the third heaven. So, what does this mean? Well, first of all, let's identify who the man is. He says he knew a man in Christ uh, about 14 years ago. Now, this is actually, the, the writer of Corinthians is actually Paul. And so, Paul is using... Uh, he's actually speaking about himself. When he says, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, he's actually referring to himself. Now, this is something that very, very humble, very, very humble people that we find in the Bible, they do. They often uh, speak of themselves uh, in the third person. Uh, you find this with John. Uh, if you read the book of John, whenever John, usually when, usually when he talks about himself, refers to himself, he'll usually say something like, uh, the one whom Jesus loved. But he's actually referring to himself. And so John was just a very, very humble person. And um, Paul was using the exact same thing. He was saying, uh, I, I knew a man, but it was really him. So first, he's describing himself. He's telling a story of something that happened to him. Now, what exactly happened to him? He says, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knows. So he says, he was, this person, or such an one, this person was caught up to the third heaven. Okay? This person, who is Paul, was caught up to the third heaven. Okay? So it says that he was caught up to the third heaven. So what exactly is the third heaven? If there is a third heaven, then there must be a first heaven and a second heaven. And the answer is yes. So what is the first heaven before we go on to the third? Well, the first heaven is simply, uh, the Bible describes it as where the birds fly, the birds of the air fly. You look up into the sky, that's the heaven. Basically, uh -huh. where birds fly and where you see anything else fly, that's the first heaven. Well, where is the second heaven? Well, the second heaven is simply that which is beyond the earth, and that is space. Where the stars are, where the planets are, that is the second heaven. Well, where's the third heaven then? The third heaven is exactly where God is. That's the heaven that many of us are very familiar with, and that's the heaven that we all want to go to. The heaven where God is. Amen. And so Paul is saying that he was caught up to the third heaven. So the question is, did Paul actually physically go to heaven 
during this time? And the answer was no, uh, because we knew that Paul was actually, he actually died here on earth, and Paul is sleeping in the grave. What Paul is describing in verse 2 is Paul is describing himself in vision. So Paul is actually recounting a story of when he was in vision, and he saw something, he saw things. And so if you go on further, he's describing a little bit of what he experienced. And he says in verse 4 how, how that he was caught up into paradise. So first he was caught up into the third heaven, and this third heaven is called paradise. And if you look at Revelation, it describes that paradise as the actual heaven that we're referring to. So the, verse 2, what it's talking about is Paul is simply saying that he was in vision, and he was in vision, he was then caught up in vision to heaven itself when he went to heaven. And it was all simply in vision. And so just to explain that text, that verse alone simply means that Paul is referring to himself having a vision of heaven. That's what that text means. And so we're so glad if you read the, if you actually read the whole chapter, it, it, you'll pretty much know that this is Paul speaking. He's really the one talking. And um, in verse 1, he actually says, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. So he's saying, I, I do come to visions and revelations of the Lord. And then in verse 2, he's describing him actually coming into a vision. And so this is actually a story of Paul uh, describing his vision of how he had had a vision of, of heaven and what had transpired there. Thank you so much, our dear brothers and sisters from the DOC. Please keep your questions coming. And yes, keep reading your Bibles. And uh, yes, please, whenever you come to a text like that that you may not understand, uh, call, call in and send us a, a message, or, and we're happy to help. And may the Lord bless you at the DOC. Yes, thank you, inmates. Moving on. Sorry, to, Scott. I just got, I want to say something. Yes, go ahead. You know, I, I used to. I, I love you know prison ministry and ministry of the DOC. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was one um, uh, facility that we went to, and you know we were. Of course, it was a division of correction, and we met there for Bible studies, and we met there to to share the, uh, the love of God with them. And I remember really being very impressed that yes, this is the division of correction, the DOC. But the DOC could also stand for Disciples of Christ. Nice. And so these oh, men yes. and women, they became Disciples of Christ at the DOC. You know, we always get um, these prayer requests from the inmates. Yes. And they're also doing, um, like, each post they have a ministry, I think, or oh, something. Oh, wonderful. Because the ones that we do a prayer for is from Post G. Post G. Yes, I thought okay. it was Post C, but the lady told me Post G post Ministries. G. So I guess oh. they set up a ministry for them. Bless yeah. your hearts and bless your ministries. Yes. Keep on doing what yes. you're doing. Keep on praying. Keep on reading. And you know, we we did have a baptism. Uh, Matt Dodd, our, our, our station manager, we actually mm-hmm. had a baptism uh, at the DOC a few years ago. I, nice. I don't know what post it was in. But it was such a beautiful baptism, Scotty. You know, oh. it was it was at the I think it was at the female uh, the side of the mm-hmm. female correctional facility, and uh, you know they they don't have of course a baptism. You require a lot of water. Right. Baptize means to submerge or put under the mm-hmm. water. And so we, um, you know, Matt Dodd and his wife Beth, um, they had been studying with uh, with uh, people there, 
And one of them finally made that decision to follow wow. Jesus in baptism. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And, uh, you know, I was wondering how it was going to happen. And uh, they asked mm-hmm. me to come and do the baptism. And oh. when I went over there, you know, they, they filled up this little, I guess it's, uh, I guess what you call it, um, a kiddie pool is that is that what it's uh-huh. called? A yes, kiddie it pool? is. The it's one a, like a knee high. Yeah, thing, yeah. This, this is maybe less than knee high, probably three or four feet. Oh, yeah. Wow. As it was pretty small, <laughs> and so, uh, but it was just big enough or deep enough. Wow. Uh, for for us to be able to baptize uh-huh. that dear precious lady, oh, that dear man. precious soul. Yes. And so, praise God to what the Lord is doing at the DOC mm-hmm. with His disciples of Christ. Yes, and one day I'm going to experience that. I'm getting really itchy to Amen. to go in with Matt too. When, it's when wonderful they, when they open up. So. It's wonderful. They are wonderful brothers and sisters. Um, uh, wonderful. We've had some mm-hmm. wonderful experiences with them, and you know when they share their testimonies, right. uh, oh, Scott. Nice. Oh wow, you you hear amazing testimonies of what God is doing in their lives mm-hmm. and I'll tell you you know it almost seems like usually it usually the perception is you go in to be a blessing to them right but I must confess that every time I would go there it would it seemed like I got the greater blessing oh. I would leave there feeling so refreshed and so revived having been able to, sh- to share with them and to hear their stories and to um, to really just uh, share Jesus with one another and testimonies with one another oh, nice. at the DOC. So our love and our prayers mm-hmm. go to every one of you at the DOC, Yes, our brothers and sisters. God bless you and keep up the wonderful work. Yes. All right, we're moving on to the next question, and I like this question. Well, all the questions are, are mm-hmm. good, but this one just stands out. A listener asks, what are steps Christians can take in our daily walk with Jesus so we don't fall off our path? Beautiful question. What are, what are some steps that we can take mm-hmm. uh, to not fall off our daily path, our steps, our steps to Christ, our walk with Christ? Great, great question. You know, dear friend, I'm going to share with you three of, of what I call the most fundamental the most important in every Christian's life in order for a Christian to grow. There's three that I really know of. So this would be step one? Yes, this would be step Step one. one. So step one would be, and the thing is, these things never change. Incredibly. Uh. These steps, at least, (laughs) they've been the same uh, since I became a Christian. They'll always be the same because I've only really seen real growth and a real walk with God when these steps are, are, are really are practiced. And of course, there's others that you can add to it, mm-hmm. but these are, are the big three. So the first one is always going to be prayer. It is going to be prayer. Prayer. You cannot have a, a real spiritual life without prayer. You need to recognize that prayer, like oxygen like the breath what what breath and air and oxygen is to our physical lives prayer is to our spiritual lives we need it in order to to live and so for example if you look at the life of jesus if you look at the book of mark chapter one you find that jesus woke up very early in the morning way before the sun arose in order to spend time with his heavenly father in prayer so this is Jesus himself who was sinless 
and yet he understood that in order to overcome that day, he needed time with his heavenly Father. Mark one thirty-five, a great while before day, he would seek God in prayer. And you find the same thing in John 15.5 where he says, I am the vine near the branches. So Jesus, Jesus is describing himself as a vine. Now, a vine, Scotty, is not a strong plant. It's not a tree. A vine is, a, is basically like, um, it's not strong. It, it, in order for it to grow up, it has to hold on to something, like a uh-huh. scaffold. That's, That's a vine. That's how come you can just pull it exactly. right down. Exactly. You, you can pull, pull it down. Uh-huh. The only way for a vine to grow up is for it to grab onto a scaffold or a nearby tree in order for it to ascend. And Jesus himse- himself says, that's me. Mm-hmm. What, is it, what does it mean, that's you? There are a lot of things that he could, uh, that he can compare himself with in the Bible. Uh-huh. He could say, he, I am the cedar of Lebanon. I am the great oak. But he says, I am the vine. You see, just as a vine is completely dependent upon uh, something strong in order to grow up, likewise, Jesus was completely dependent upon his heavenly Father in order to have strength through each and every single day as a man. So that's why he described himself as the vine. So the the first step is to have a regular time for prayer. It has to be regular. It has to be daily. And it has to be consistent. And so you'll have to rearrange your schedule in order to make sure you have time for prayer. You know, Daniel himself, when you read the book of Daniel, the Bible says that Daniel uh, had three specific times for personal prayer throughout the day, morning, noon, and evening. Those were his uh, primary times for prayer. Now, of course, we can pray throughout the day. We can always have an attitude of prayer. We can be praying uh, while we're talking to someone, while we're walking along the way. And, you know, for me, I, I've, I'm developing the habit of praying while I'm preaching. Whenever I preach in church, I'm learning how to talk to God and pray while I'm talking at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that we that God has given us that beautiful access to prayer that we can pray even while we're walking along the road. However, there, are, there are, should be devoted times where you can simply come into the presence of God and pray. Now, what do you then pray for? Well, you pray for everything that's on your heart. And, you, of course, you pray for the things uh, that are close to you, that matter to you. But what's also very important is that you pray for other people. In fact, I believe it's in First Samuel chapter 12, First or Second Samuel, but I believe it's First chapter 12, where Samuel describes how it is a sin to not pray for other people. It's a sin. So, yes, we have to pray for the things that come to our lives and that, that concern us, but also to pray uh, for other people, for their salvation. And, you know, when you pray, you shouldn't just ask. Spend a whole lot of that time thanking God, mm. just thanking Him. You know, somebody once said that the hardest arithmetic is the counting of blessings. And we do it so little. The hardest <laughs> math is counting your blessings. There's so many things to be there, grateful yeah. for. And in prayer, when you, when you pray and, and just thank God and you're grateful mm-hmm. to Him, you will develop this attitude, this attitude of gratitude. Nice. And you'll find that when you finish praying, you'll feel happier and, and, mm-hmm. and more blessed. And so what prayer does is it, prayer is this holy time where you have one-on-one time 
with God. And I'm going to say this. I don't understand how it happens. I don't understand how it works. Mm -hmm. But something happens when you spend time with God and then you leave his presence. It shows. Just like Moses when he was up in the mountain with God and when he came back down, his face was radiating with the light and glory of God. So much so, Scotty, that they had Mm -hmm. to say, put a veil over your face. It's too much. (laughs) It's scaring us. But he didn't know. Something happens when you spend time with God in prayer. So my dear friend, don't neglect uh, uh, prayer time. Make it consistent. Uh, make it regular. And be willing to cancel other appointments, uh, but never cancel uh, your time for prayer. Uh, if, it, if you have a busy schedule, make it, a, an appointment, uh, make it a point to wake up even earlier. That's right. I knew a friend of mine who recommended, uh, he said, you know, he sets it on his alarm. Mm-hmm. And when in his, his alarm, it's a time for prayer. So he'll be busy throughout the day and then he gets at his alarm and okay, I'm gonna, it's time oh. for me to pray. And then he'll excuse himself, excuse me, I'll be right back. Or I've, I've gotta make a call. <laughs> and a call meaning it's, it's a, a call right. to heaven. <laughs> right. And he'll spend some time in prayer and then he'll come back. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought that was very, uh, very, very unique, but he was a very busy person yes. and that's how he did it when, during the noontime. So one is prayer. The second one, of course, is reading the Bible. You study and you study and you learn it. Now the question is why? Well, the answer is in sec- I believe it's in Second Peter, chapter one, verse four. This is the reason why it's so important to read your Bible and not just read, but learn to memorize uh, your favorite verses of Scripture. And, and when you read these promises, mm-hmm. claim it and apply it to your life. Go to God and say, Lord, this is your promise. You have promised it. I'm claiming it. Maybe you can read that, Scotty. Yes, I can. I believe it's Second Peter 1, verse 4. Second Peter 1, verse 4. Okay. And it reads, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Okay, wonderful. Nice. Peter is saying, there have been giving unto us great and precious promises. Mm-hmm. Now, where do we find these promises that are so great and so precious? Mm-hmm. We find them in the Bible. In the Bible. Now, look at what else Peter says. That by these, by what? By the promises. Well, what about the promises? that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? When you claim the promises of God, you and you claim them and you apply them to your life, you become a partaker of the divine nature, meaning you then become changed to become like Christ. Because for us, we have what, we, we have what it is called a fallen nature. We naturally want to sin. We naturally are tempted easily to evil, and we fall for it. But unless there's a power outside of us that we can claim and hold on to, uh, we'll never have victory. But we can, and that's what Peter is saying. We've been given promises where in the Bible that as we claim these promises, believe them, and trust them, we will change, and we will become like Christ day by day, moment by moment, and we will stay on the Christian path moment by moment, day by day. So yes, oh, yes, the first one is prayer. The second one is reading and 
in claiming the promises of God. And number three, uh, this is very important, is that you have to tell. You have to be able to share uh, your blessings, uh-huh. share how good God has been mm-hmm. to you. And remember, it's not as difficult as most people think it is. Remember the woman at the well. She had a, a conversation with Christ, and Christ revealed himself as the Messiah to her. And the first thing she did was she ran back to her yes. town, and she said, come see a man. Uh-huh. All that she did was to simply tell them what this man had done for her. And it's important that you and me, that, that you and I be able to be able to tell people mm-hmm. uh, what Jesus has done for us. And you simply tell, and you share, and you live it out. And so this is the three ways that I, re- I remember. So the first one was prayer. So we describe prayer like air. So air, prayer. Okay. And so reading, reading the Bible, claiming the promises, that's us spiritually eating. So we're reading. So read, feed. Read, feed. So air, prayer, mm-hmm. read, feed. And then number three, we have to witness. And so witness is fitness. That's how we stay spiritually fit. <laughs> fitness, witness. So air, prayer, feed, read, fitness, witness. And so my dear friend, if you, by God's grace, practice at least those three fundamentals day by day, uh, you will stay on the path. In fact, Proverbs chapter four says, uh, it says that the, the path of the just is as a shining light that shines brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. Amen. You're, you're, if you keep on the path, it's going to get brighter and brighter and better and better as the years go by. You know, Scotty, mm-hmm. uh, that question means a lot because it does. For me, where I am today uh, is not where I thought I would ever be years ago. Mm-hmm. And I have found that as you as you stay on the path with God, and as you get to know Him in prayer and talk to Him as your best friend, as you read His Word to have Him talk to you, and as you simply tell others the wonderful things that He's done for you, I have found that the path has grown brighter and brighter and brighter mm-hmm. for me. Uh, it's it's amazing, and so my dear friend, um, those are the three that I would recommend uh, to grow in your walk with God and to not fall off. Fantastic. You know, the person that called that called this question in, you know, I really felt for them because mm. they want to know yes. the steps and how to do it and how do people stay on. And yes. They probably stumbled. They got down and maybe they're giving up. Yes. Oh, you know? yeah. Thank you, Scotty. I'm glad you mentioned that because uh-huh. that's another important step. I, I'm going to add to that mm. that you just mentioned. Well, well, I've stumbled. Well, what do I do then since I've fallen off? Mm-hmm. Here's the answer. Get back on. Nice. If you've fallen or stumble, if you make a mistake, the, the worst thing that you could do is to stay down. The best thing to do when you fall or fall off mm-hmm. is you get right back up again. And that's why Proverbs twenty four sixteen tells us that uh, the just man falls seven times but rises up again rising and rising and rising and so remember sometimes what the devil does is he will what the devil does his weapon one of his greatest weapons is really not leading us to sin Uh, what his greatest weapon is is 
giving us that great feeling of discouragement after we sin. And we feel like, well, I've, I've done it again. I, I guess there's no use to praying or going to church or read my Bible. I'm, I don't want to be a hypocrite. That's not from God. That's from the devil. And that's why Proverbs 24.16 reminds us that even if you fall over and over and over and over, keep getting up again and again and again. Don't give up. Why? Because 1 John chapter 2 reminds us, and 1 John chapter 2 tells us, My little children, I would that ye sin not, but if any man sin, remember, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the world. So, the Bible says, I, I would that you wouldn't sin. Like, don't sin. But mm -hmm. if you do, remember, we have Jesus who will cleanse and forgive and give us the power. But the greatest thing that you ought to do if you make a mistake and fall off the path is don't stay off and don't stay down, but get back up and get back in and keep on moving forward. I'm so glad you brought nice. that up, Scotty. Thank you. Don't and I'm give so, up. And I'm so glad that you brought up the the rest of the other three. Amen. You know, air prayer. Yes. Feed, read. Yes. Fitness, witness. Yes, yes. I love it. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. We only got a couple of minutes left, and our song's going to play in about a minute and a half. Pastor, is there any closing thoughts that you would like to sure share with our listeners? Listening friend, I want to tell you, first and foremost, that the Lord loves you. He paid an incredible great price for you at Calvary, and the price He paid for you was the life of His own Son. And so that ought to speak volumes to how valuable you are to Him. And so with that knowledge, if you have fallen, if you've made a mistake or fallen away, come right back up and get right back in. And so, as I, we close, I want to pray for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for our listening friend here today. May you bless them and watch over them. If they've made mistakes, forgive them. If they've fallen off the path, put them right back in. And Lord, the path will grow brighter and brighter as you've promised. And bless them in all that they do. And we thank you, Father, for your holy word that shows us Jesus and his great love and sacrifice for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Masik saying good night. And Scotty saying good night. And God bless you. God bless. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Straight from the Bible. If you missed out on your question and would like to have it aired next time, you can also email us anytime at bibleatjoyfmradio.net. Submit them at online at joyfmradio.net or message us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash joyfmradio. Join us again next time for another edition of Straight from the Bible. Until then, may God bless you as you study His Holy Word, the Bible.